Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. All right, if you need a Bible this morning, would you wave at uh, one of our ushers and they'd be happy to pass one to you. And you can turn over to Matthew chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 7. You can put your finger in our piece of paper or something, bulletin. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 7. We're continuing on in this series and on the Sermon on the Mount. And we, uh, we finished chapter 5 last week. We begin chapter 6. As we get into chapter 6, the Lord Jesus is going to talk about three areas, three very specific areas of things that we could look at as well, in, the, in chapter 5, we had six things we talked about which we would classify as bad. And so the, the Pharisees would say, we don't do these, and you shouldn't do these, and so they're listed, these are bad things. And yet Jesus revealed the fact that your heart, you say you're not doing this, and you, you're proud of yourself because you're not doing this particular thing, but your heart's engaged in it. Your heart is doing this. You say that you don't commit adultery, and yet if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. And he says, you say you haven't committed murder and you're real proud and you pat yourself on the back. You haven't committed murder. But when you get angry with your brother, when there's wrath and rage there, even if it's just in your heart, that you, this, Jesus is saying the heart condition is the same. The actual outward activity may be different, but the heart condition is the same. And so the end of chapter 5, he's dealing with six things like this. When he gets to chapter 6, now he's going to talk about things we would classify as good, but he's going to say, you've got to be careful with these good things. You should be doing them, but you've got to be careful. Careful of what? Look with me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That is the foundation for everything that we're going to do over the next several weeks as we look at these different things that Jesus talks about. But he lays the foundation right here in the very first verse, chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He's still dealing with the heart. The heart is still the issue. And what is he saying? He's saying, be careful even, oh yeah, you're not doing bad things over here. But, that, but the heart can still be messed up and you're not participating in these bad things. Or you can be participating in good things, but your heart is doing it for the wrong motive. You want to be seen by people. You want the praise that comes from people. And he's going to talk about three specific areas. We're going to deal with the first one today. And then in a couple of weeks, we will hit the next one. Um, there are a couple of things happening over the next two weeks. But today, we're going to begin with the first one, which is talking about giving. And then Jesus will talk about prayer, and then we'll talk about fasting. And in all three of these, Jesus is saying, these should be a normal part of your life, but be careful. Be careful that you don't do them with a heart motive that says, I want to be seen by other people. I want praise from other people. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This has nothing to do with salvation. Okay? Let me say that again. This has nothing to do with salvation. You and I are not saved, we are not born again, we are not brought into the family of God, we are not converted, any of these terms that you want to use. We are not given new life in Jesus Christ because we give and we pray and we fast. We are not. You 
are not, salvation is not what he's talking about here. But he is talking about reward. You say, well, Troy, what do you mean by reward? I don't understand all that I know about this. I just know that the New Testament says that as believers, his spirit will work in us to do certain things and that there is reward for that. That there is, um, there is something that we can look forward to where God gives reward. And Revelation talks about these crowns that we cast at his feet. And I'm assuming some of that is reward that we have received and that we cast at his feet. But there is reward that comes because we believe Jesus and we operate according to his spirit. But he's not talking about salvation. He's saying, if you do this stuff with a heart motive so that you can, other people will see it and they'll pat you on the back and say, oh, aren't you something? Aren't you special? Aren't you really? I mean, if that is what you desire, you just got your reward. That's your reward. I don't know about you, but I want bigger reward than that. I want more than just someone saying, yeah, you're, you're all right. Because deep down, I know I'm not all right. So he says, don't do this to be seen by men. When you give, and by the way, we are supposed to give. When you give, don't do it to be seen. Now, let me stop right here. And I will probably do this several times in this message today. I will stop and clarify some things. There are some misunderstandings about this passage of Scripture. There are those who would say, okay, no one can ever know that you gave anything because then you would violate this injunction that, that Jesus gives here, that this, this direction that he gives. So if anybody knows that you gave it, well, then you lost your reward. That's not what he says. He's not talking about this outward thing. For example, there, was, there are some who would say, we shouldn't keep records as a church. People should just give money, but we shouldn't keep records and give it to them at the end of the year so that they can get their tax benefit. You know, there's nothing unbiblical about you doing that. Um, the government has set it up that way. It's, a, it's, it's something that comes to you. And what Jesus is talking about here is we don't parade you down in front of everyone so that everybody can see that you're giving. There are a few individuals who do know what people give because they count it, they keep records of it, they provide it for you at the end of the year. I am not one of those individuals, and that's on purpose. I do not know what anybody gives. I don't want to know. I never want to know. Um, because it mess as human beings, it messes with us. And we realize that. It, it messes as we start thinking in the back of our head, um, well, so-and-so does this, and so-and-so doesn't do this, and we become respecter of persons. But Jesus is not talking about this whole idea of giving and keeping a record of it and providing that, that tax statement, if you will, um, for you at the end of the year. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, do not have this heart attitude that you want to be seen by people. If you advertise... You know, if you stop at the box in the back every Sunday and say, you know, blow a trumpet or have somebody, you know, I need a drum roll, please. And whoop, I'm doing it because this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were making a big deal about it. And Jesus pointed out when there was the widow who came with just her two mites and she dropped it in. No fanfare, nothing, just a heart of worship. And Jesus said, she's given more than them all because of her heart, her heart attitude. All right? So that's a clarification because sometimes people get confused about what Jesus meant when he said this. Um, it doesn't mean, again, that nobody ever knows that you give. It means that your heart isn't, you don't care whether they know or don't know. Your heart doesn't care. You do it because Jesus has prompted you to do it and you want to do it. Or at least you're trusting him. Sometimes I don't want to, but I'm trusting him and I'm giving it anyway. Look at the next verse with me. Thus, when you give to the needy, some of your translations may say when you give alms. And that's specifically what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about giving to the needy. 
when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Don't make a big deal about it. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, you have received, that they have received their reward. That's what they're going to get. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Again, sometimes people look at that and say, okay, this is supposed to be completely anonymous and secret. Again, the fact is Jesus pointed out the widow in the temple giving. This was an actual event that happened, and Jesus pointed her out. So if he meant for it to be nobody can know, it has to be absolutely anonymous and secret, then he wouldn't have pointed her out. He's not talking about the physical action here. He's talking about the heart behind it. Is your heart desire so that you can have praise of man? He says, if you do that, then you just receive your reward. As I was going through this, I realized that, that we live and learn as we go along. And I, I was reminded of something that happened years ago when we were in the old building and trying to, in the preparation for buying the land here and building this building. And one of the things, I was associate pastor at the time, but part of the staff and part of this idea of having everybody fill out a giving card and write down their name and kind of, a, kind of like a faith pledge and how much they plan to give over the next year. And then we created this big bulletin board area and everybody was going to put those up there. How many of you are here, you remember that? There's a few of you remember that. That was wrong. Now, we thought we were doing it for the right motive, which was an excitement and an energy of everybody doing it together, but there's also the flip side of that coin, which is also, well, maybe you'll feel pressure if you see other people's names there and you don't put yours. <coughs> this money thing in the heart is a big deal. Because the heart... Well, our hearts can go, they can go some really wicked directions. So there is a need within the body of Christ to be able to say, you know what? Let's examine the heart behind why we are doing what we're doing. This thing about giving is something that, quite honestly, I don't talk about much. And I'll tell you why. And honestly, the Lord convicted me this week because I tend to shy away from this subject. You know why? There, there are two main reasons why. One was I grew up in a household that felt like that, that pastors and Christian ministries at times were lazy and just trying to defraud other people and get money. Okay, That was a mindset. That was... It has, it has had some negative effect in my life in the, in the first, you know, 20 years of my ministry. Because, again, that belief system that, you know, pastors are lazy, so I had to work harder than everybody else. Sometimes going to extremes that were not godly. And on top of that, um, pastors are trying to extort money from people, and Christian ministries are trying to extort money from people. And so with that mindset... I pretty much thought, you know what, I'm just going to stay away from the topic. Because I don't want anybody to ever feel like we're extorting money from them, we're manipulating them, we do this for money. Which, by the way, we don't. We do not do this for money. I don't do it for money. Nobody that I know who's part of finance does this for money. So I've kind of stayed away from the subject. 
Rarely do I ever talk about it. Jesus forced me to talk about it today um, because it's the next thing in the sermon. So I want to talk about giving as a whole this morning a little bit. And I realize here's part of what the Holy Spirit showed me. He said, Troy, your journey with me over the last 40 years in giving is a huge part of your life. And you need to be able to share that with people. You don't want to keep them from discovering the joy and the benefit and the blessing that you've experienced because you've trusted me in some ways. And so this morning, I want to talk to you just about giving as a whole. Jesus is encouraging us. He's saying that when the Holy Spirit is in you, what, one of the things that he does is he makes you a giver. How do we know that? Because God is a giver. He's a giver. How do I know that? What's the first verse most of you ever memorized? Somebody tell me. What's the first verse? John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he did what? He gave. He gave. God's a giver. He loves to give us who he is. And he says, when I make you new, when I give you new life, my new life in you, what I want to do is take you, I want to change you from being a taker to being a giver. And we're all born takers. We're all born takers. You don't think so? How about that newborn? <laughs> Which is basically translated, give me what I want right now. That's translation, baby cry. We're all born takers. We're born again givers. And so the Lord wants us to be givers. Givers to those in need. Givers to, through our local church, through the, what Malachi calls the storehouse, and thing called tithe, which I'm going to talk about a little bit today. And before you shut me down, I believe I'm going to give you a clear, well-balanced, Old and New Testament picture of tithing. So don't shut me down before you hear it. But God wants you and me to be givers. I can tell you over the last 40 years, this has been a journey for me. And one that has been so good because I was not only born a taker, I was born an extra big taker. All right? I was born greedy. My goal from the time I was a little boy was to have more money than Carter's got little pills. All right? And some of you know what that means, and the rest of you are like, what? You can look it up later. All right? The Lord has changed my life because of giving. He's caused me to trust Him and walk with Him in ways that I never would have experienced. To know Him more intimately than I've ever would have known. Because the scripture, when Jesus says that where your treasure is, your heart will be also, He's right. Wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to be there. It goes along. It's not the other way around. We would think where my heart is, my treasure will go. No, He said where your treasure is, your heart will go. If your treasure's in your 401k, that's where your heart is. If your treasure's in your job, that's where your, that's where your heart is. If your treasure's in a bank account, that's where your heart is. If your treasure's in your toys, whether you're a little kid or a big kid, if your treasure's in your toys, that's where your heart will be. Wherever your treasure is, your heart goes. So here we are. We're, we're, we're looking at this thing being givers. It's like, how do we do this? Lord, how do, I, how do I be a giver? And some of you are sitting here saying, well, Troy, you don't understand my situation. I don't have anything to give. I'm poor. 
I, I get that. I, everybody is in a different economic situation in this room right now. Every single one of us are in different places. That is always true. That has always been true. That will always be true. That will not change. I, we will always have a group of people as believers who are in different economic situations. Some would say, I don't have anything, or I'm poor, or what about, or I'm in debt, or I've got all these things, and should I be a giver as well? Look with me. I didn't tell you to turn here, but Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is a very interesting verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, the first part of chapter 11 says, cast your bread upon the water, and it will return it. You know that? I've had that used to be an old gospel song, cast your bread upon the water. Um, that's what the first verse of this. So it's talking about this whole idea of sowing and reaping. But he gets to verse 4, and here's what he says. This is very important. Ecclesiastes 11.4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What is he saying? He's saying if you're waiting for circumstances to be right to become a giver, you'll never become a giver. It's kind of like having that first child. You remember when you got married and you thought, we want to wait until we're ready. To have if you wait until you're ready to have that first child, you'll never have them because you're never going to be ready. They help make you ready. That's what they do. That's part of their job is to help get you ready for what you were not ready for before. If you wait till everything's perfect to be a giver, you'll never be a giver. I had to learn this 40 years ago. God began to teach me this. I'll never forget, um, I grew up in a household that taught tithing. Went to church, and, and we had, back then we had envelopes. And on the front of the envelopes, you put all your stuff. You read your Bible, you studied your Sunday school lesson, you given your tithe. It was all right there on the front of the envelope, you know. Um, I don't know how this lines up with what Jesus taught there. In verse, but anyway, it's what we did. And you had to have your envelope. I mean, ooh, that was bad if you showed up without your envelope and had all that stuff marked on there. And so I gave, you know, whatever money I might have earned or whatever come along I, to my, my 10%. That's what tithe means, by the way. When you hear that term or see it, it simply means a tenth or 10%. And so I grew up in a household where we did all that, but there was no heart in it. As a matter of fact, I'd heard preaching on tithing. And basically, the verse that I remembered is in Malachi where it says, if you don't do this, a curse is coming to you. I don't, I don't want a curse. I'm give God what, you know, give my 10%. I don't want a curse. I'm going to say something right now. And again, you've got to listen to me through the whole message, but I need to say this right now. That under the new covenant, there is no curse to a believer. All right? Galatians makes that clear. Cursed was he who hung on a tree so that we could never be cursed again. There is no curse. I want to tell you this. You don't have to be a giver under the new covenant. You don't have to be. And there is no condemnation. Now, there are consequences, but there is no condemnation. <laughs> All right? There is none. Under the new covenant, you, don't, you can be as tightwad as you want to be. You can be as stingy as you want to be under the new covenant and still be saved. Because your righteousness is not based on what you do. It's based on what he did. All right? So somebody's like, good, thanks. I can go, I can go to sleep now. You can do that. You have the freedom to do that. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. And I guarantee you, there'd be testimony after testimony around this room if people stood up and told, I have never met in my life anyone who understood giving under a new covenant perspective and God had made a giver. I've never met an individual who, who was a giver who said, I don't have enough. I've never met one. I've never met one. Never. I never have. Now, they may be out there. 
but I haven't met them yet. I haven't talked to them. I've talked to a lot of people in my, in my life who say they didn't have enough, and often when we start looking at it, giving is not a part of their life. And often because they say, we can't, I can't afford to give. I don't have anything to give. This whole idea of tithing is something that, and by the way, Jesus isn't talking about tithing specifically here, but he does talk about it in Matthew 23, 23. If you want to write that down, you can look at it. He talks about it there. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you guys, you make sure that you tithe. You're very, I'm going to use my word, not Jesus' word, you're anal, all right, about, about, the, 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 about cumin and and I mean, these, these herbs, basically. I mean, literally what he's saying is you go out in the garden and pick your stuff that you're going to cook with, and you're so particular about this, you take a tenth of it and make sure it goes to the temple. It makes sure that it goes and doing the tithe. You're, you're, you're so particular about this, but the weightier matters, justice and mercy, you don't pay any attention to. And Jesus said, you should do these, justice and mercy and all, and don't leave the others undone. So if you ever want to know if Jesus talks about tithing, he does. He's saying, there's nothing wrong with tithing. He's saying, but what I want is the heart. I don't want this outward form. I want the heart. I want you to give because I put it in your heart to give. Some people say, well, tithing is in the law, and we're not under the law. Well, actually, if you were to ask me, is tithing in the law, I would say yes and no. Tithing is in the law, yes, but it didn't start there. Tithing started 400 years before the law. As a matter of fact, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. I told you to turn over there. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And we read a little story about a guy named Melchizedek, or I call him Mel for short. Um, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 7. Now, if you want to jot it down, Genesis 14, about verse 17 or so, is where this story happens that we're... That that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. So you can look at it later, Genesis chapter 14. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, what does Salem mean? Anybody know what Salem means? Peace, Jerusalem, city of peace. Peace, king of peace. Priest of the most high God. Who in the world is the king of peace? Priest of the most high God? I, I believe it's Jesus. I believe it's a pre-incarnate form of Jesus that meets Abraham, all right? I can't prove that, but who else is the king of peace and prince of the most high God? Anyway, so Melchizedek, who I believe is pre-incarnate form of Jesus meeting Abraham, but I don't know that for sure, but I just believe that, um, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. This is Sodom and Gomorrah, that whole, and all these nations got together, and Lot was captured, and Abraham went down with his men and whooped them all and took Lot back. All right? So... Slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Abraham gave a tenth, a tithe, of all that he had gotten, all the spoil he gave to Melchizedek. And it goes on. It says, he is first, by a translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he's also king of Salem, that is king of peace. King of righteousness, king of peace. Prince of the Most High God. I mean, uh, priest of the Most High God. He is without father or mother or genealogy. It means he has no beginning or no end. Having neither beginning of days or end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So he's not like a Levitical priest. He's not a Levitical priest because Levitical priests die. 
This priest, after the order of Melchizedek, which is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, he lives forever. I mean, folks, it's got to be Jesus. All right? He goes on, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those, goes on, and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. And we're going to talk about what that looked like under the law, taking tithe, because it's probably not what you think. That is from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, this man who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So Melchizedek, who I believe is Jesus, received tithes from Abraham and he blessed Abraham, who had already been given promises, but he blessed him. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Of course, especially if this is Jesus. Jesus is blessing Abraham. Melchizedek is blessing Abraham. Melchizedek is the greater, Abraham the lesser. In the one case, now this, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I want you to see, this is powerful. In the one case, tithes, that giving, are received by mortal men. If you give your tithe here, mortal men will pick up the box and they will take it into the room, and mortal men and women will count it, and they will, they will put it in an account, and mortal men and women will spend it and give it, and it will go into ministries and things, but that's all done by mortals, okay? So in the one case, ties are received by mortal men or women, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Say, Troy, what in the world is that saying? I'll tell you what it's saying. I give here. Jesus receives it there. You say, how does that happen? I do not know any more than I know how salvation works. But I know that all of us were born in sin through Adam because he talks about that here in Hebrews. I was born in Adam in sin. I was born again in Jesus. And so everything that is Jesus's is now mine. And so in a spiritual sense, he takes and he changes me. I'm no longer in sin because of Adam. I'm now in righteousness because of Jesus. In the same way, he says, you, give, you do something here in a physical sense to mortal men, but there Jesus receives it. See, that understanding changed my life, folks, because I'm not giving. So let me ask you then, if you're giving and somebody hurts your feelings, should you stop giving? Let's, put it, let's get more specific. You're giving, and, and the pastor, Pastor Paul, not me, because I would never do that, <laughs> but the pastor makes you angry about something. Do you stop giving? Only if you were giving it to him to start with. By the way, I'm not saying any of you do that. I'm just saying, I've been in church long enough, I know how this works. We give or we don't give, and we give often with false motives or wrong motives. And often with a false understanding, I am not giving. I may be giving in a place. And by the way, not just here in the church, whether I give to a ministry, any ministry. There are ministries that Lori and I support. There are, you know, just different things that we do that are not part of LifePoint Church. I don't do them. I don't do them for the picture of the little kid that they send me all the time. He's no longer a little kid. I don't do it for those things. I am literally giving to Jesus. Literally. I don't know how he does all that, but that's what he says. Tithing under the law. 
it is in the law. Probably not the way you think. Tithing was one of those things that, under the law, it ran in three-year cycles. So the first year, you gave 10%. That 10% went to just the upkeep of the Levitical, the priesthood, because they didn't have an inheritance. And so they were provided for by the people from 10% that they took in from what they had, it was given and it provided for the, the Levitical priesthood and all the things that happened with the temple or the tabernacle. Okay? So that was the first year. The second year, there was an additional 10% that was added to it. This was for all the annual feasts that took place, the big annual feasts that happened. There were three major ones. But then there was 10% that was added to take care of that. The third year, there was another 10% that was added to that for benevolence to take care of the poor and the needy, all right? On, in addition to all of that, every year there were 12 monthly offerings that had to take place for the trespass offerings and all those kind of things. So I want you to get this straight. There are 12 monthly offerings happening all the time every year. There is the first year 10%, the second year 20%, the third year 30%. They were excited about that first year of the 30-year period coming around again. All right, because it would drop back down to 10% and then be 20 and maybe 30. Or if you average that out, that's 20% all the time. That's Old Testament. That's, that's the law. And by the way, they weren't giving it. It was being extracted from them. It was basically a tax. They didn't, it didn't matter whether they were joyful or cheerful or grumpy. It didn't make any difference. They still had to do it. That's under the law. We're not under the law. And if they didn't do it, there was condemnation that came and judgment that came. There is none that comes to you and me. The Lord says, no, I don't want you to give because I extract it from you. I want you to give because I've changed your heart. And it becomes an outflow of this new life that's within you. I remember, can I tell you, when it comes to giving, it comes to tithing, giving, and by the way, aren't you glad, maybe you're not, but I'm glad that, that the Bible gives us a, a tithe as a tenth. Otherwise, how would I know? You know, one guy comes along and says, well, God wants you to give 3%. Another one comes, no, you're supposed to give 10%. No, you're supposed to give 25%. Well, how am I supposed to know? Well, he didn't leave it up for speculation. He said, here, here's what I want you to build into your life in a regular way, this 10%. It all belongs to me. It all comes from me. This is just a reminder of that and in a way, and I'm going to tell you, tithing is always a test. It's always a test. Why? Because I don't care how much or how little you have, taking 10% of it and immediately removing it from your control and, and your use, that's a test. I've been, I've been walking with the Lord and giving, and by the way, the Lord has taken us places I probably would have never imagined and giving in ways I would have never imagined. And every single time, even to this day, every single time he does it, it's still a test. As much as God has done in my life, and let me tell you something, this began for me because I told you I gave a tithe as a kid growing up because my family, that's what you had to do in the church I went to. 
I didn't understand the meaning behind it or the work of God, and I didn't understand all that. And so, I get, my late teenage years, though, God begins to do a work in my heart, and he really begins to draw me to himself, about, about 18 or 19. And so, I, um, I was being challenged in all kinds of areas, including money. And the Lord said, you know, Troy, I want you to trust me when it comes to money. You've been greedy. You've had this plan of how you're going to make money and save money and have money. But I want you to trust me in this. And so I'm 18, 19 years old. I don't remember exactly, but somewhere along in there. And I'm really being challenged. There are different, different voices that are speaking into my life. Some of them were on radio. Uh, guys like Charles Stanley and Chuck Swindoll and everyone I started listening to and, and thought, and just began to be challenged. My heart began to stir. And other people that I met and different ones in different places and, and God's working through them and encouraging me. And one of these speakers said, hey, there's an Old Testament set of commentaries that I use that's really, really great. I'd never heard of it before, but I knew that it's hard sometimes to find really good Old Testament commentary. New Testament's easier. And um, it's a, it was a set called Kyle and Dalich. German commentators from way back. It was a 10-volume set. I remember looking it up, I think, on CBD back then. And the price of that set of commentaries and the shipping and everything was $112. Well, I didn't have $112, but my dad did, all right? And so I thought, hey, I'm studying the Bible. Dad will buy me anything if I'm studying the Bible. I mean, really. I mean, he'll be so thrilled. Uh, I could just go ask him. And I had this check inside that says, don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, it was clear. It wasn't an audible voice. It was louder. All right? Don't do it. I was like, well, Lord, I just, I just, he's just right in there. I'll just go ask him, and he'll do this, and he won't mind. He'll be happy. He'd love to do this. Don't do it. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Ask me for it. I said, well, Lord, that's silly. Dad's right there. I mean, why should I ask you? He's right there. Ask me. Okay, Lord, I'll ask you. How are you going to get it? You want to send it in a check? Or, I mean, what's your plan here? How are you going to give it to me? I mean, he's right there. I know how to get it from him. How are you going to do it? I said, Lord, I'll trust you. You provide for me. I'm telling you, not 30 seconds past the phone rings. My neighbor across the street had muscular dystrophy. There's a lot he couldn't do. And from time to time, he'd call and say, Troy, I got, I got a little project or I got something going on here. I need a little help. And I'd go over and help him. And sometimes he'd give me something, sometimes he didn't. It's just, we, did, we just did it. He was a neighbor. So I went over. I helped him for a little while, and he gave me some money. It wasn't $112. I thought, Lord, well, that's nice, but it's not $112. Dad's still there. It, and now he has to give less. He'll be even happier. All right? And again, it's like, don't do it. Just ask me. So I get back home. Next day, I get another phone call. Another neighbor another older neighbor. Say, Drew, I got a project going on. I can't do this by myself. Could you come help me? Sure, I'll come help you. Work with him for a little bit. He gave me some more money. I took it home. I put it with the money I already had. Do you know how much was there? $112. Not $100, not $120, $112. The Lord said, you can trust me. You know that? You can trust me. I thought, okay, that's pretty cool, Lord. It really is. I begin a journey. I still have that set of commentaries. I'm getting rid of a lot of my books because all of it's digital now, and it's a whole lot easier to keep track of, but those I won't get rid of because they're a reminder of this journey that began 30-something years ago. 
of trusting the Lord. And, there have been st- and there's story after story I could tell you of God doing things. Here's the thing, though. Now I'm in my 50s, or I am 50, be 51 later this year. And the amounts keep getting bigger. What I have to trust God for is bigger. And he continues to be a God who can be trusted. Always a God who can be trusted. I wouldn't give anything in the world for what he has taught me in just walking with him. And by the way, the giving, the giving doesn't have to make sense. Because in that situation, I was trusting him to be my provider. A number of years later, I received a small inheritance from one of my grandparents. And that really excited me because, you know, that, that greed was still in my heart and trying to build up a bank account and the whole deal. And so it wasn't long after that the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to take everything that's in your bank account, all that you've saved and all that you've just received, and I want you to give it here. I want you to give it to this ministry. Um, Lord? (laughs) Actually, I probably rebuked Satan at that moment thinking it was him. I wrestled with that for three days. For three days, it's like, Lord, that's everything I've worked for. That's inher- I can't give away an inheritance. I can't do that. That would be, I mean, what would grandma think? <laughs> it was almost like the Holy Spirit, don't blame this on her. <laughs> My heart was greedy and fearful. And he said, are you going to trust me? And I gave it almost immediately. Not quite immediately, but within a matter of weeks after doing that, I get a phone call from a man that I respected greatly. And he said, Troy, I'm going to Russia, and I'm leading a team, and I'd like you to go as my assistant, kind of my right hand. I said, I would love to go. And he um, said, but I don't have any money <laughs> to, to do that. And, and again, it was one of those, like, go ask your dad. You know, he, he's, he's got it. And it's like, no, no, don't do that. So I just, all right, Lord, if you want me to go. I get a call a few days later from an organization I had worked for and said, hey, we messed up in paying you. We realized you did work we never paid you for. I needed $2,300 to go to Russia. Um, I was supposed to be going for five weeks. I ended up staying for nearly a year. But I needed $2,300. You know how much they messed up in my pay and they sent me? $2,300. Yeah, you clap. It... God is not debtor to any man or woman. And he is perfectly capable of providing for every need that you and I have. The problem is, is we get fearful. It's hard to trust him. So I want to say again, under the new covenant, you don't have to be a giver. But if you're not, you're going to miss an opportunity to trust the Lord and to walk with him and to experience things with him that you won't learn any other way. Because, especially in this country, because when we look at our money and it says, in God we trust, it really is in this God we trust. (coughs) That's what we trust. We trust money. We trust what it buys and what it provides for us. So this morning, Jesus is challenging you and me again. Let me make you a giver. By the way, the tithe is, is, that's where, that's where you start. 
But you, if you walk with the Lord, he'll take you way beyond that, I promise you. You say, well, I don't want to go there. <laughs> I know, I get this. Can I tell you something? If you're born again, if you're born again, it is in you to be a giver. It's there. You want to do it. You hear me share some of these stories and you think, I want that. I want to see God that way. I want to experience him. And some of you, many of you have. But you're probably like me. It's like, God, I thank you for what I've experienced, but I want to experience more. I want to see you do what only you can do. If you are born again, it's in your heart to be a giver. You know what stands in our way? Fear. Fear stands in our way. Every time God speaks to me about giving in some way, not necessarily the tithe, that's just, that's just a part of my worship and it's become such a, but when God speaks about other things and he says, I want you to do this, fear is always there. I, every time. Like, Lord, I know you've done all this in the past, but this is a new time now. And we've got more responsibilities now. And we've got this and this. And he's like, do you trust me? Will you trust me? Now, can I share something just practical about this? Somebody asked me this week why I ask you if I can, because I'm going to do it anyway. But, um, but I'm, I'm trying to be gracious here. I'm going to ask you if I can, but I'm about to share it anyway. Um, there are... Three things that you need to understand about giving, okay? These are foundational. Number one, in order to be, for God to create an atmosphere in your life where you can be a giver, you need to, number one, learn the danger of debt, okay? You have to understand the danger of debt. I was talking with Joel this morning, and he was sharing their story, and he and Denise, and four years ago, what where they found themselves and and he said you know he had kind of just checked out when it came to the finances just made money and gave it to Denise and just checked out and over a period of time they had gotten to a place where they had I think Joel told me 34,000 worth of credit card debt and didn't even realize how they got there I mean it's just over time and Joel just took responsibility again for all this and taken Denise and, and you know, them together going before the Lord and beginning to work together on this. He said the most amazing thing, within two years it was all paid off. But he said something else. He said, you know, over the last two years, what's been really amazing is now because you got this extra money, it's like, Lord, what do you want to do with this? How do you want to bring glory to your name? Where, what, do you, what is your plan for this? Because, folks, it all belongs to him. Every bit of it belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. We get to be stewards of it but it all belongs to him. You need to understand that how the, the danger of debt. And by the way, you're not going to hear that message much in our country. You're going to be encouraged to go into debt. I'm going to encourage you to go the other way. All right? Get out of debt. Wherever you are, work toward getting out of debt. You say, well, should I tithe if I'm in debt? Yes, I believe you should. All right. Again, you begin where you are, trusting the Lord, and watch Him do things that you could not do otherwise. Some would say you can be in debt for, for, uh, for appreciating items, like a home usually isn't appreciated, but not always. I don't want to get into that argument with you. I just want to tell you that debt, like when Scripture talks about debt, it talks about the same way it does about alcohol, with very cautious terms. Very, very cautious. The Bible doesn't tell you you can't drink. It tells you not to get drunk. But it does tell you the danger of drinking, the danger of alcohol. 
And for many, you've experienced that firsthand. All right, the same is true with debt. So if you're going to be a giver, you need to understand that you have to have a proper understanding of debt. And, and I believe, biblically, that you're working your way out so that you don't, you don't owe other people. Because the scripture says when you owe someone else, you are their servant. They dictate terms to you. And rightfully so. They should because you owe them money. So you're working toward not being in debt. And I'll tell you another one that's really important. You have to learn how to control impulse spending. You need to work of the Holy Spirit and self-control. There is no lack of stuff in this country to buy. Everywhere you go, everywhere you look, there is stuff to buy. God has to do a work. And you ask him to do a work in your spending. I'll tell you something that's really interesting, though. As God makes you a giver, you find you have less and less desire for all the stuff that you normally would purchase. It's amazing how it's a spiritual work that God does. So you want to be careful with debt. You want to be, you, you need control in your spending. And number three, you need to be a saver. A saver not so that you can just keep building it up and building it up and building it up. You save it so that you can give it or use it however God says. There is a reason why we have these stories like with Joseph in Scripture of providing for times now when, there, when there's a lot for times when there's lean. These are important principles. They're important things. So it's not just giving alone. It's understanding these other things that God's going to build into your life. All right? I'm going to ask Lori to come play. This, this punishment is now over, okay? <laughs> it really isn't punishment. It is, I'm telling you, it is an incredible way to live. An incredible way to live. To be able to trust him and to see him do what only he can do. If you have questions too, I would just say this to you, because my heart is for you. If you find yourself in a financial place and you have questions, you think, how do I apply what, you're, what the scripture talks about in this situation? We've got folks who really are good at that kind of thing sitting down, praying with you, looking at different things, and kind of walking together with you. We'd love to be able to do that. Not in a judgmental, critical way, because we've all made decisions we wish we hadn't made, especially when it comes to finances. But we learn. God does a work. We keep on going. God's a giver. He wants to make you and me givers. You don't have to under the law. There's no condemnation if you don't. I know. There may be some folks on the finance team that wish I wouldn't tell you that. But it's true. It's true. There's no condemnation if you don't. But there is blessing to be experienced because you trust God. Your heart's changed. And I want that for every one of you. And if you've already experienced it, I want more of it for you. I want more of it for myself. I want my latter days to be more fruitful and experience more of the impossible than I've known up to this point. Lord Jesus, we want to be givers because you are. 
We want your spirit to work in us. Lord, we want you to break in us the love of money, the love of what it provides, the security we think it brings, the pleasure we think we can experience with it. God, would you do a work in us? Lord, I pray for each one here that they would experience the freedom that comes by doing finance your way. I pray for everyone here. Wherever they are in this economic journey, in this financial journey, I pray that you would pour out the blessing of your spirit, that you would cause them to hear you and respond to you and see you do what only you can do. To trust you. I pray, Lord, that in all of us, you would do a work so that we don't love the things of this world so much. Because, Lord, often our spending is attached to how much we just love the stuff of this world. And, Lord, we all have to wrestle with that. Lord, I pray for the one right now who feels like they are going under. I mean, they have water up to their eyeballs when it comes to finances. They don't know how to make it. Oh God, I pray for your peace and your word to them even now. And they would hear you and believe you and take whatever next step you give them, even if it's just a small step, to believe you and take one small step. I pray that you would do miracles in their finances. Lord, thank you. Cause us, Lord, to overcome fear and that spirit of fear and experience greater love and joy and peace and, Lord, trust in you because we recognize that you are our provider, not our job, not our spouses, not our parents, not our bank accounts, not our, not our planning, Lord, you are our provider. Lord Jesus, help us to do this, not to be seen of men, that you do a work in our heart so we don't care about other people knowing or not knowing. We simply do this because you have given us everything. You've given us yourself. And you're worthy to be trusted. God, do a work no matter what's going on in our country financially, up or down, you do a work in us that we will glorify your name and how we live in our relationship with money. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done and thank you for what you will do. And we pray this in Jesus' name.